Friends, today we continue our sermon series together entitled Our Mission. For those of you who are joining us maybe for the first time today or uh, for the first time in a while, uh, together as a congregation, we have gone through a vision process over the last year uh, entitled Beyond 2020, allowing God to move us beyond ourselves and to seek a greater vision, God's vision for this church, and so that we might live into it together. And through that process, our congregation developed a new mission statement in which we are seeking to live into and is the lens in which we do our life together as church. And so today we continue our sermon series from this mission statement as we look at what it means to be called. But as we gather as God's church again today, I think it's important for us to not only see the mission statement on our bulletin or in the newsletter, but for us to be aware of it and to know it and to allow it to sink into our hearts so that we live into it together. And so I'm going to ask that once again uh, this Sunday that we read it together as a family of faith. So church, we are a family of faith called to grow in the love of Christ, share that good news and serve the world. Or simply shortened, we are called to grow, share, and serve. Many of you know that I am a basketball fanatic. My love for basketball really began when I was a middle school kid watching the NBA at a time when some of the greatest players to ever play the game played. Like many other kids, my dream was to become a professional basketball player. Larry Bird was my favorite player for the Boston Celtics. He wore number 33, and I had vowed that I would wear the same number if I played basketball as well. There wasn't a day that went by that you wouldn't find me outside shooting hoops at home or playing with friends. That's all I wanted to do. I ate, slept, and breathed basketball. And so my path to the NBA began at the tender age of the seventh grade, in which We had the opportunity for the first time to play organized sports at school. And I remember our coach, Gary Murphy, who issued tryouts for one week. And so all of my friends, both 7th and 8th graders, gathered together. And we tried out for an entire week for only so many spots that would be given on that team. Truth be told, I had really not a whole lot of control in this. I was able to play to the best of my ability, but at the end of the day, whether or not I made the team resided in our coach, not in me. If I had anything to do with it, I would already be on the team. And so we waited very anxiously at the end of the week. I remember it was a Friday, and it was at the end of school in which uh, Coach Murphy posted the sheet on the wall of the gym, uh, letting us know who had made the team. And so all of us anxiously after school ran straight to the gym. We all crowded around this white sheet of paper looking to see if our names had been chosen. I was in the back. I heard many of my friends immediately yelling out, excited that they had made the team. And then I watched a few others who looked for their names on that sheet and who walked away sad. Finally, I got up to the sheet myself and I began to look at the names that were on there until finally I saw my own name written there on that roster. I was excited. I was thrilled that I had been chosen and picked to play on this team. But at the same time, I was also saddened for those friends of mine who were not. I find that being chosen for something is a special feeling 
Being chosen affirms that we have something to contribute, and it gives us a sense of value and of worth. And the truth is, is that all of us want to be chosen for something. If we audition for a play and for that role we want, we want to be chosen for that. If we, if we try out for a, a sports team, we want to be chosen for that. If, if we're given the opportunity to go to the college or graduate school of our choosing, we want to be chosen for that. If we apply for a job that only one person can have, we want to be chosen for that. But we know that in the world that we live in, we're not always chosen. You see, while I was chosen and called to play on the middle school basketball team, I was never chosen to play at the high school level. I tried out my freshman year, my sophomore year, my junior year, my senior year, and every year I would walk to that sheet and my name was missing. Rejection is hard. And the truth is, is that rejection is hard no matter what age you are or where you are in life or what it is that you've been rejected for. No one wants to be rejected. And the reality is, is that all of us will face rejection at some point in our lives. But I have good news for you today. Because as we approach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we affirm that we have a Savior who not only wants us on his team, but a Savior who pursues us and who calls us even though we are not the most gifted or talented or skilled person to be with him. And I believe that our scripture today from Matthew sheds light on this notion of being chosen and being called. You see, Jesus' ministry has just begun, and having returned from the wilderness temptation, he goes to Capernaum to live. And on this particular day, Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. Standing there on the shoreline, he sees two brothers, Simon and Andrew, who were casting their fishing nets into the lake. These two brothers work together as fishermen, reliant upon catching fish in order to make ends meet. Now, for me, fishing is a hobby, but for them, it was their livelihood. What appeared to be a normal day on this lake would be like no other. For Jesus had come to them, he found them, and he called out to them saying, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Matthew tells us that once they left their nets and followed him. But they're not the only ones that Jesus pursues and calls. He walks a little further down the shore and he sees two more brothers, James and John, in their boat with their father Zebedee. Jesus also calls out to them and it says immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now it wasn't uncommon for rabbis to have disciples who followed and learned from them during Jesus' day. But the normal process involved the students seeking the rabbi of their choosing and then asking for permission to study under them. In other words, most people tried out. And they were either accepted or they rejected by the rabbi that they sought. It's kind of like an application process in which many apply but few are chosen. But that is not what Jesus does. 
Rather than following the traditional norms, Jesus seeks out his disciples. He pursues them and he chooses them to follow him. Now, these men were not necessarily looking to be disciples. They were fishing. But discipleship found them through Jesus' call to follow If we tried to apply a rational and a logical approach to assembling a team of disciples that would be what we would call the dream team, so to speak, for Jesus, we would expect Jesus to bypass Galilee altogether, all of these peasants who live there, and to go to the heart of the land, Jerusalem, where he would find the most skilled of religious scholars There, Jesus could conduct a week of tryouts with all of these skilled religious leaders, particularly those who memorized the Torah word for word. He could evaluate all of their resumes. He could choose the best of the best, those who had the highest grade point averages to grow even more under his lead. But that is not what Jesus does. Instead, he chooses a group of guys who aren't qualified for the task at hand. What do these fishermen know about ministry? What experience do they bring? What skills do they have? And how much knowledge do they have of the law and the prophets anyway? Honestly, not much. But what's even more bizarre than Jesus choosing unqualified men to be his disciples is how they respond to his call. It says that they left their nets and their boats behind. James and John even left their father to follow him. Now, I have to be honest with you, this is not normal. This is not normal. Matthew doesn't say that They asked Jesus any questions about what he was doing or what they would be doing together. Nor does he mention them asking Jesus, well, just give us a few days to pray about it and then we'll let you know. That isn't there in the text. In addition, Jesus doesn't share his ministry plan with them. He he doesn't give them a road map for what he's calling them into. Nor does he throw out a sales pitch to them to convince them to follow Jesus does not say, will you come and follow me? He doesn't ask them a question. Instead, he commands them. He says, come follow me. It's calling. He literally chooses them to come and follow him. So often we think, well, it was their choice. They they decided one day, oh yes, let's follow Jesus. And they went and began to do that. But that is not what happened that day. Jesus called out to them, commanded them to follow, and they responded in obedience. In fact, Jesus goes on in John's gospel later on. We have this passage in John chapter 15 when Jesus talks about being the vine and then being the branches. And the importance of remaining in Jesus together. That apart from him, they can do nothing. And that he has called them to bear fruit They can't bear that fruit without being in him. At the end of that passage, Jesus tells them this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus calls them and they respond with obedience. 
And this is no simple task, for his call means that they're going to have to make sacrifices in doing so. They leave behind their professions, their way of making and earning a living. They leave behind their family, so to speak, to follow him as well. And so compelled by his call, they jump into the unknown, not knowing or having any idea where Jesus might lead them. But it's important for you to also understand when Jesus calls these men to follow, and even the other disciples who will later follow him, he is not entering into this exclusive club that exists. Instead, he is assembling a team of students, of learners, who will learn under him and assist him with calling others to follow in his ways as well. For you see, the same Jesus who called these fishermen to follow him is the same Jesus who calls us to follow him too. And he doesn't conduct tryouts to determine who will make the cut. His call is extended to everyone, even though he knows that some will not choose to respond in faith. And you see, Jesus isn't worried about calling the qualified Because he will qualify those whom he calls. The Apostle Paul says it this way. And we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his good purpose. I find it interesting that the disciples didn't have it all together when they began to follow Jesus. For Jesus' call to them is a call to learn from him to get on-the-job training together. And that call is a call that pursues them and calls them and calls us even when we're not looking for Him. And the good news, the good news is that God works for the good of those who love Him, to those who have been called according to His good purpose. Jesus is leading them to embody a new way of life, focused on love and acceptance, grace, forgiveness, mercy, and humility. This way runs countercultural to the world's standards set for us. And he is not misleading them in any way. He's offering them new life, the life of the kingdom of heaven here and now. And this life is accompanied with his call that will guide them to cast nets that draws others into the same love that has now captured them. Peter tells us this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Many of us have accepted Jesus' call to follow Some call it the day that they were saved. Most Presbyterians would say it's the day they were confirmed in the church when they made a public profession of faith to follow Jesus. Whether we've had a conversion experience or whether we have been nurtured in the faith in the church, Christ has called us to follow him together as his disciples. But I have to tell you, following him is not a one-time decision. Indeed, it is Jesus who called these disciples from what they were doing and to this new way of life, but ultimately they were being called to follow him each and every day, and we are called in turn to do the same. 
Jesus tells us, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It's an everyday decision that is attended to listening to God's call. What is God calling us to do? Well, he's called us to be his disciples, to be his students, to learn under him and to live with him. And like the first disciples, sometimes we are called to leave our professions behind and enter into the ministry But I have to tell you, that's not always true for everyone. So often we associate our call to follow Jesus as requiring us to leave home and to go off some place beyond here. Sometimes that's what God asks of us. But most often God calls us to be faithful in following him right where he's called us to be. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But when Jesus called these disciples to follow him, most of his ministry took place right where they were, in Galilee. The majority of Jesus' ministry centered around the Sea of Galilee. Yes, Jesus wandered to Jerusalem, and he went to Jericho, and he went north of Israel. But all of his ministry was confined in one area known as Israel. These disciples didn't go off to Asia. They didn't go off and find new land somewhere else. They remained right where they were following Jesus during that time. It's easy for us not to recognize this when we read this together. In fact, the Latin word, bokai, means call. It's the same word that we get the term vocation, our calling. And I find that God calls all of us into differing vocations. And yet our collective call together is to be his disciples and to follow in his ways. That's what centers our daily call to serve him right where we are. In other words, God calls us to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession because you're chosen to declare his praises to others in our vocation. So the question I have for you today is this. How are you living into your calling? How are you declaring his praises and sharing his good news right where God has called you? Teachers, How are you living this new life among your students and your co-workers? Business people, how are you practicing this new life in the way in which you care for your clients and for your employees? Those of you who work in the nonprofit world, how are you declaring his praises as you live out your calling to serve those who are under your care? Government employees, How do you care for the people you serve with the love and the justice of Jesus Christ? Doctors and caregivers, how are you sharing the love of Christ and the way in which you serve your patients? Retirees, you know it's true, there really is no such thing as retirement because we're still living into our calling as disciples of Jesus Maybe we're freed up a little bit more, but my question is, how are you using your time now to serve Christ? And students, 
You're working towards a vocation, trying to discern God's calling in your life, but God has placed you right where you are in your schools. How are you sharing Jesus right where you are? Ultimately, the question becomes, how are we fishing for people? Because when Jesus called those disciples to follow him, he didn't just say, follow me. He said, I'm going to teach you how to fish for others. Your vocation's going to change a little bit. You have a new calling, and I'm going to teach you how to live into it. Many of you know the summer before last that my oldest son, Brennan, got very sick. He developed a strain of E. coli, 0157, which is a very severe strain. And for several days, he was really, really sick here. And we took him to Watauga, and they sent us to Brenner's Hospital in Winston-Salem. And we spent a long time down there. We got to come home for a day and then immediately had to go right back to Brenner's because he had developed a secondary infection called HUS. Only 10% of, of people who get E. coli like that develop this infection, and he had gotten it. He was deathly ill, very, very sick, and me and Angela were very, very worried about him, but we entrusted him to the care of medical professionals at Brenner's who were trained to deal with such things. And I'll never forget one of the doctors who worked with us. Her name was Dr. Richards. That's her there on the screen. And I remember Dr. Richards coming into our room and assessing the situation and talking to us and kind of sharing with us what was going on and what they had understood to, to be happening. And I remember her looking at Brennan and talking directly to him and, of course, to us as well. And she let him know, she says, Brennan, you see, I serve a big God who has the ability to bring healing to your body. She didn't have to say that to him. In fact, most care professionals don't get into their faith right there in the room with you. She didn't know that I was a pastor and therefore had permission to do such things. She saw her vocation and her faith not as inseparable, or not as separate, as separate but inseparable. She saw every day as an opportunity where God had called her to use what God had gifted her with, to use it for God's glory in such a way to be able to share the good news of God with those entrusted to her care. And I remember her asking if she could pray for us and to pray for him. She didn't have to do that, but she did. And I find that the reality is, is as God has called us right where we are, wherever we are, in whatever vocation that we're in, God gives us opportunities to do the very same. We have those opportunities too. And we always must remember that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That God has chosen us, that God has called us to live into the kingdom life that he offers us. And that should make us feel special. Because the God of heaven and earth has pursued us and left heaven and entered this world to find you. And to call you into his life. And not just to call you into his life to allow you to share that life with others. God has chosen us. And not only has he chosen us and called us, he has equipped us because he has given us the gift, as Romans says, of his Holy Spirit 
who resides within us and enables us together to do things that we couldn't do on our own. And therefore, we have absolutely nothing to fear when presented with an opportunity to cast our nets for Jesus. We must always trust the one who has commanded us to follow him and who promised us to lead us in all things for the good, not only for our good, but also for the good of others. You know, the truth is, is there are many among us who do not know Jesus or have misunderstood him because others have misrepresented him. There are many people who have felt rejection, and it's been hard for them, and they need to know the good news that Jesus will not reject them. In fact, he pursues us, and he calls everyone to follow him, but that is where we come in. That is where you come in, living into that call to follow Jesus. And to let go of whatever is hindering you from sharing his love and his grace with those who need to hear it, who need to know it, and who need to experience it. Remember, God's call is not a one-time decision. It's not a date that we can remember when we made a profession of faith. That's important. God's call is every single day day. And he calls out to us to follow him, to move us beyond our comfort zones so that we can learn and grow in our faith together. Today, Jesus calls out to all of us, not with an invitation, but a command. Come and follow me, and I will send you to fish for people. Friends, may we respond obediently to our collective call as disciples of Jesus as we live into our vocations together, sharing his good news daily. And I can promise you this, he's not going to lead you astray, and he's certainly not going to abandon you in it. May it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.